What's up, everybody? We get so many questions about conspiracy theories on cases that we're following on this channel, about what ifs. And someone said, Pete Sardis and I have known each other for over 20 years, and we usually see eye to eye, but there are some things we see very differently. I'm going to follow the case. Pete's going to bring in the theories. What is mainstream media saying? What are the reports saying? Is it real? Is it fake? Did it come in at trial? And we're going to discuss it because as we've seen in trials, one side or the other can do something that makes previously inadmissible evidence come in by opening the door. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever you listen to our podcast. Let me know what you think in the comments. What's up, everybody, and welcome in to Opening the Door, where we talk about cases in a bit of a different way than we have on our YouTube channel in the past, where we answer a lot of the questions you have that are conspiracy theories or speculative theories, or will this come in, or what about what this person said, and we see whether or not we think it's reliable, whether or not we think it ever come in at a trial or in the case at all. And to help me with that every week is my partner, Pete Sardis, who's going to bring the headlines. He's going to bring the theories and we're going to talk about them together. So just as a little bit of background, as we do the first couple episodes, Pete and I have known each other for more than half my life. We both learned everything we know about being a lawyer from my dad. Um, and we've been practicing together for 10 years. So we have a lot of similar experiences and we look at things pretty similarly but that doesn't mean that we don't disagree all the time as lawyers often do. So Pete, what case are we talking about today? Well, we're talking about a local case here, a gentleman by the name of Stephen Kazi, who has at this point is missing. That is the official uh, listing of, of what's going on with him. But the allegations are that a, a def actually the plaintiff in a case that Stephen Kazi is a lawyer on may have been some foul play and ended his life somewhere between here and Miami. And he has been arrested and charged with that yes. crime. And we'll get into that today. It is literally in our backyard in Largo. We are in Clearwater, Florida, um, the Tampa Bay area. Largo is literally a rock's throw from Clearwater. <clears throat> so we know this one's a little bit different for us, right? Cause we literally know all the players. We know the, um, victims firm. We know the uh, defendant and his, uh, the, the plastic surgery office that he was working with. And that was the subject of the civil case that the victims law firm was working on very convoluted. We know the judges involved. We know the state attorneys involved. We know the criminal defense attorney that's been hired on the case. So this one is, is hitting close to home for us, especially because at least what I'm hearing is some people think this happened because the victim in the case, as you said, was a lawyer in opposition to the defendant in a civil case about money, which is literally what we do. So what are people saying about what they think the motive of this potential crime was? You know, I've heard a couple of different stories. The one motive is that apparently this is the lawyer for the other side and this particular uh, plaintiff, uh, the, the plastic surgeon, Dr. Kozowski, just he just lost it and went over to this office. And th the theory is that he actually injected Stephen Kazi with a paralytic and took him. And there there's some discussions that the, the reason for using the paralytic is because of malice. 
you can feel everything that's happening to you. You just can't move. So the concept was that he took him and he basically tortured him and, and disposed of him in the Everglades. I've heard a different theory too. I don't know if it's public yet, but Stephen Causey happens to be gay. Um, he's married to a man. And the allegations are that I've heard that there was some sort of relationship between Stephen Causey and uh, Dr. Kazowski at some point, and that the doctor took uh, Stephen taking this case as a personal slight. Okay. So, and that, that's exactly what we're talking about. The stuff that would probably never be discussed on the normal probably YouTube not. channel. So, so crime of passion is a potential in this case. Yes. <clears throat> and you better believe that the state attorney's office is investigating that as well, because there's no motive like a crime of passion. Um, but so I, I've read basically the only thing I've read on this case is the probable cause affidavit. So to give anybody just a quick background of what happened here, it's very interesting because you used the word snapped that the defendant doctor who's a plastic surgeon snapped. And in order to do that, it would seem like something that wasn't really planned that he just kind of flew off the handle. However, according to the, to the probable cause affidavit and the narrative by Largo PD, he shows up at Cozy's. Is it Cozy or Kazi? It's Kazi. Kazi's it's office. And I don't, I, I didn't know him personally. I've never met him. Okay. I've met other members of his firm and I know a ton of people that were very good friends with him. All accounts are that he was an awesome dude. And so the doctor defendant shows up there before Kazi. Dr. Plaintiff. He's the plaintiff. The doctor's the plaintiff. He's the criminal defendant. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so he's been sorry. charged. Right, right, right. Um, so yes, he is suing his old, so there's so much going on. So the doctor criminal defendant is the civil plaintiff suing a plastic surgeon office in town that we've met with. We know people there and he's suing them in a civil dispute. Kazi's office, not even Kazi personally, but Kazi's office represents the plastic surgeon's office who is the defendant. That's the civil case. Okay. Criminal case, doctor defendant shows up to Kazi's office before he gets there. Uh, allegedly, right? Allegedly, because they see a white male well, of the doctor's yeah. side walk into the office carrying a big box or something, goes inside with gloves on and a backpack, never leaves until Kazi shows up. And then hours later, Kazi disappears. His cell phone is still at his desk. His music is still playing. He goes to the bathroom and never shows up at his desk. And he is reported a missing person later that day. Now, the security cameras at the office see the person that is believed to be the doctor defendant leave the building now with that trunk or whatever it is, that box, very heavy. He can't even barely lift it into his truck. His truck, there's so many crazy details here. His truck is owned by him, but unregistered. The only person that registered it is the guy that sold it to him. But the crazy part about this to me is they had a hearing on the civil case and the doc, the, the doctor defendant or allegedly who left the office is sitting in his truck. He mm -hmm. does that hearing and he's representing himself and he wants yep. sanctions because Kazi didn't show up to the hearing right when the hearing ends, that truck leaves the parking lot. Again, all of these things are circumstantial evidence that points to the doctor being the one that committed this crime. It's a wild right. timeline of events. Right. And at some point, based on the probable cause affidavit, law enforcement actually searches the doctor's house and his vehicles and they find a backpack. And in the backpack is 
a, a syringe with a paralytic, another syringe with like a knock, it's like a, uh, basically to knock him out, brass knuckles and some other accoutrements, right? Tape and all that. What do we call that? What do we, what do we call that in law school? What's that? Isn't it like substantial evidence? No, no, no. Don't, oh, don't. Oh yeah. The tools. Um, yeah, burglary, burglary tools. Yeah, yeah. It's like something like that. This isn't like every law school case. It's like when you show up and the guy has burglary tools yeah. in his bag, that's usually a right. bad sign. Well, that's exactly what this guy had in his bag. Right. And then it goes even further. Then they actually call Department of Highway Safety and Motor Vehicles because, you know, there's a Dr. Uh, Kazowski has a million dollar house in Tarpon Springs. He also has another million dollar house down in Miami because his main practice is in Miami. And they get the videotape of his car. Uh, which is a, another uh, a different car than the car that originally picked up what is supposed to be Mr. Kazi. Um, the Toyota Corolla. Uh, it's the Toyota Corolla going down to Miami and, the, you know, he, he only is there for a day. Yeah. Right. So and that's what they think to of the body. Day, right. In the Everglades. So what's also interesting about this case is because he is a doctor he knows how to use sedatives and things to put people to sleep. So that's going to be a big angle of this case. Will it come in? Maybe. Does he even use that stuff as a plastic surgeon? Probably not. He's not the one putting his patients out. That's going to be an anesthesiologist. So, you know, how much of that's going to come in? People are talking about it. Uh, number two, there was some blood left over at the bathroom at the law office, but there was also um, proof that blood was cleaned up at the scene. Yeah. And what they said was when they went into the bathroom, there was some sort of peculiar smell. And that peculiar smell is what they uh, sterilize, uh, you know, surgical equipment in surgery rooms with. That was that smell. So, of course, you know, the, the uh, you know, investigators go in there and start dusting the place. How many people do you know have vests and brass knuckles and syringes all with, you know, the vest at least had a lot of blood on it in the trunk of their car just driving around? Yeah, I normally don't keep that stuff in the trunk. Right. I mean, it's just, it's crazy to think that he was literally just driving around with this. And it's crazy right. to think that he was driving around his unregistered truck for months. He, and I'm trying to figure out, did he actually buy the vehicle with the intention of committing this offense? But he just, it did, it took him longer to commit it than he thought. Cause that's some, some wicked premeditation if that's the case. And just to think that he, I mean, according to the probable cause affidavit and the um, surveillance, he shows up at 8.32, and Kazi shows up at 8.37. So he just barely beats him there. You know, I mean, that right. it seems like it's lucky. Like, if it was 8.30, you know, and he just decided to show up at 8.30 that day, then Kazi would have already been there. Right, and that means, would he have gone in and, and still had this altercation or whatever the case? Because if the case is the way we think it is, it's an ambush is what it is. He's, well, and they found his fingerprint in like the breaker room and somewhere that the public didn't usually go. So did he go into the, there, there are so many details. And if people are wondering, you know, circumstantial evidence, we've talked about other cases with circumstantial evidence. Sometimes we found it not to be that strong. I don't feel right. that way so far here when reading this probable cause affidavit, because yeah. it makes sense to go into the breaker room to hide. You jump right. out of the breaker room, attack him in the bathroom, clean up. Yeah. Right. Stick him with the, with the medication. With the and that's the end of it. Now, the truth is, this is going to be technically a um, a case that is completely circumstantial because right now there's no corpus delecta. We're missing, you know, the Latin terminology for the body of proof, the corpus in a murder case. 
So talk about the Everglades for people that aren't from Florida. Why, yeah. why are people saying he went down to the Everglades? Let's talk about kind of where it is first. There is a road that goes from Tampa Bay to Miami. It's called Alligator Alley. And the reason they call it Alligator Alley is it cuts right through the Florida Everglades, which is a big technically national park. And it is a swamp where there are alligators and snakes and panthers and all kinds of wild animals. If you want to dispose of anything, you go to the Everglades and just dump it off the side of the road because you can actually see there's a road cut in the Everglades and right off the sides of the roads, it's just marshland. It goes into the into wilderness. So if you throw meat on the side of the road, alligators, snakes, bobcats, uh, panthers, all those things are there living in the wild. And, you know, there are, again, other cases like Coburger in Idaho where they have proof that he drove here, there, and everywhere, and they're trying to figure out if that's where he disposed of the knife. Well, they have proof in this case, theoretically, I mean, I think that's what you said, that he, there's proof he drove his car down there, right? Yeah, and there's also, I, I believe, witness testimony that corroborates a red vehicle on the side of the road in the Everglades. So that's going to be something that comes in at trial. I mean, they're they're going to oh, use absolutely. that, and they're going to have somebody explain Alligator Alley. They're going to have somebody explain why it's possible to get rid of the body. And again, that's a lot of circumstantial evidence. Even, even the verbiage they're using in the probable cause affidavit where they say things like, when he was driving in his truck, you could see the red blanket with what looked like covering up human remains in the right. box. Like that's literally the type of verbiage right. they use. It wasn't exactly, I mean, you know, I hate to say it when you're trying to do this, it's, it's one thing to think about it and it's one thing to actually do it. You just wrap a body inside of, of a blanket. It, it still looks like a body inside of a blanket. <laughs> Yeah. When they first talked about a chest or a box or whatever it was, I thought it would have a top on it. Now I'm thinking maybe it's, you know, one of those like janitorial things where it's just one of those big, deep buckets and you, it's, it's open at the top, which just, again, it yeah, seems so risky at I 11 o'clock. In the the I know at 11 o'clock in the morning in, in the middle of a very congested business park where there are cameras visibly everywhere. If you just drive by, you can see the eyes in the sky all over the place. Uh, he and I understand that there's a mask in play, and I think that the the box is kind of like one of those boxes that has like little wheels on it. So I think yes. it's more of a wheelbarrow, but it's more of like like you said, a plastic bin as opposed to a traditional wheelbarrow. Yeah, I'm assuming he looked like a cleaning guy. That that's what I'm yeah. assuming. And he had gloves on, which again is also weird. How did they get a fingerprint of his if he had gloves on? I think it's kind of weird. Um, but <clears throat> those are the types of things his defense attorney is going to argue. I mean, the fact that we don't have a positive ID that it was him right? Mm -hmm. That's number one. That's right. difficult. True. Somebody else could have been driving his truck. There are still arguments, right? And he has been charged with murder, right? That is what he is charged mm -hmm. with. Yep. Intentional so, first degree murder. Exactly. So in order to get there, you have to prove that he actually committed that act, that it was not kidnapping, that it right. was not something else that led to anything other than the victim being deceased at the end of it. Right. I mean, that is going to be a big argument from a criminal defense attorney's point of view. Right. Exactly. Like and how big is it to have a body in these cases? How important? Well, in the old days, it was imperative without a body. There could never be a, you know, you couldn't have a first degree. It's even a song about it. Yeah. Nobody, no crime. Right. Nobody, no crime. And it's the, so the problem then becomes how do you corroborate that that person is no longer alive? And I think that was so one of the big points. Right. That was one of the big points in the Casey Anthony trial. So, I mean, I think, I think that that, if I'm remembering correctly, 
<clears throat> but I, but I, again, when we have these cases where there is no body, it becomes a lot more difficult because yeah. you, a jury, if you even make a jury think, well, maybe the person's just still alive and they left. Now there's a lot of things going on in this case that would make you think otherwise. He left his phone, his computer was on. He had a hearing right. later that day. His music was still on. He was in the middle of work. So all of that is going to go to prove that he didn't just yeah. run away or disappear. Right. And you know, in, in, in cases that involve, for example, drug addicts or drug dealers, people that are not very uh, stable, it's a lot harder because the answer is, well, he disappears for years on end at a time. But you're right. talking about an attorney practicing in Florida that is married, that has a home, that's never, you know, that is an active member of the bar and is always at everything. So I think you're right. The circumstances of I left my keys, my wallet, my cell phone on my desk, my my Pandora was playing on my, um, you know, on my computer. Those circumstances are very out of the ordinary for this particular individual. So I think, again, that's going to come into evidence because you're, you're going to have to talk about what his uh, his day in and day out routine was. So there's a couple things when it comes to motive, which people always like and which, you know, you always have to speculate uh, about. But. The first one is, we talked about the two potential motives in this case. The first one, the fact that he is the attorney on the opposing side of a civil case. I'd be willing to bet, based on this lawsuit, again, which he was unrepresented in the civil case, he was representing himself, the doctor, as the plaintiff. My guess is this is not the only civil lawsuit that he has or that he's ever had. Right. So right. if I'm the criminal defense attorney, I'm going to be like, so now all of a sudden he decides to kill opposing counsel, which does him no good. At all. It's not like he thinks he's not a moron, right? He's a plastic surgeon. He doesn't think he's yeah. going to win the case just by getting rid of one of the attorneys, not even the, the, the first attorney on the case. So it's like, I don't think he's going to be that dumb that that's going to be his motive, yeah. which then again, brings in crime of passion as a potential secondary motive mixed in with, like you said, he was personally offended. He would take this case or work on this case based on their history. If that exists, so to me, as we're looking for a motive, that's going to be something that's really interesting to me. Can they find other connections? Can they find other motives? And I, I hope it's not that. I didn't know Kazi was married. So I hope it's not that. I hope it's nothing nefarious like that. But again, it would also be scary and wild to think that opposing parties are going to go after lawyers for doing their job right. in a civil case because there was no evidence that Kazi was a jerk throughout the process or that did anything demeaning to this guy or anything like that as a lawyer. Right, because that's not in his personality from what I've heard, because everybody that knows him says he's just a, just a kind, good guy, but he's a litigator, just like we're litigators. And we don't sure. go to, to purposely picket people when we're in litigation. We do their depositions. We're respectful, professional. We just, we're looking for the facts. And we're talking about a case of, of money. And it's not even that much money. It's not millions of dollars. It's tens of thousands of dollars that he's suing over. And what he's really more upset about, meaning uh, Dr. Kozowski, was that some of the patients that there were billing issues, apparently gave him bad reviews on social media. And those bad reviews were affecting his his, his uh, plastic surgery practice down in Miami. And that's really the, the, the crux of what this case is about. Right. And he's the saying civil it's, case, civil case. Right. And he's saying it's because of that other plastic surgery office. So again, all that makes sense. And that's fine. If you want to fight about that, if you want to disagree about that, if you want to sue somebody over money, fine. It's just wild when it gets to this level. And <clears throat> for the last part, Talk about how seriously the community, the state attorney's office, the judges in the case, everybody in the community is taking this case because as the legal community, it's one of our own, right? This right. happening to 
for seemingly at this point, if there's no crime of passion for doing his job as a lawyer and litigator in Pinellas County. Yeah. They're taking it seriously to the point where I will say, I don't want to make it akin to a homicide of a law enforcement officer. I agree. That's what I was thinking too. You are talking about a member of the legal community. You, you have attacked one of our own and they've got to send a message here because we can't have litigants attacking lawyers. It's just, you know, that's just not the way life's supposed to work. That's not the way the process works. So there has to be respect for the legal process and the participants in the legal process. And just in case anybody thinks we're like placing lawyers above other people, there are tons of protected classes in the the statutes and in the law that are protected and get enhanced penalties, law enforcement officers being one of them. And it's basically just showing <coughs> lawyers that do their job the right way. I mean, no lawyer deserves this, if he, regardless of how he or she does their job. But to think that this could potentially happen because a lawyer did his job is something that should be scary to everybody because then that means if somebody doesn't like the job that you're doing and this is how they plan on acting, we need to put an end to it. And the state attorneys involved, um, there's a very high likelihood based on that courthouse that the judge is going to be a former state attorney, is going to be somebody that is active in the St. Pete and Clearwater Bar and knows Mr. Kazi. It's going to be very tough to find people that don't know who he is. Now, does that make them biased? Are they going to be recused? Things like that. I don't think it's going to rise to that level. Now, we also know the criminal defense attorney is also big in the community as well and in the local bar associations and knows the state attorneys and knows the judges. Was he a former state attorney? He, uh, he was a public defender, but everybody knows everybody in this, right. in this case. Right. Everybody knows works, everybody. And he works with tons of lawyers that were former state attorneys, right? And he's a really right. good dude too. And nothing bad to say about the criminal defense lawyer in this case. Really good dude. And he's going to do a good job. But the point is, are they going to be able to um, find judges and state attorneys and people that shouldn't be recused from the case based on what their relationship is? Now, I'll tell you, if I was working on this case as a state attorney or a judge, there's no way you could recuse me because I, I honestly have never met Mr. Kazi. Right. I know a lot of the same cool. people. We know a lot of the same friends, but I, I've met with the um, plastic surgery office that the defendant right. used to work at. So, I mean, it, it's it's going to be hard in a community like this to find somebody that has no clue about the case, but that doesn't necessarily make them biased and in, right. impartial, which is really the line that it goes to as far as recusing a judge or a state attorney from this case. Right. And, and I think that there are enough people in this community that do not personally know Mr. Cause or personally know Dr. Kozowski that there shouldn't be a problem finding a judge, a prosecutor, and a group of, of, uh, of people to sit on a jury in Pinellas County. So I don't think this case is going somewhere else. <laughs> So we'll see, but this is going to be an interesting one to follow. And a lot of you asked about it because you knew it was in our backyard. Let me know if you have any questions in the comments. Um, and because this is mainly for the podcast form, give us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Like it on, on YouTube if you're watching it on here. And just let us know what you think, what you think of the format, what other cases you think we should break down in this type of way and in this kind of format. Appreciate you joining us today. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for watching another episode of The Lawyer You Know. If you enjoyed the episode, please hit the thumbs up and share with your friends who may be interested here on YouTube. And don't forget to subscribe. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok at Tragos Law is our handle. And don't forget to listen to The Lawyer You Know podcast featuring new episodes every week. 
If you have a case you want to talk to us about, if it's a personal injury case, wrongful death, catastrophic injury, car accident, or slip and fall case, please email us at lawyeryouknow at gmail.com. And of course, all these links I just mentioned are included in the description below on this episode and every episode. So until next time, this is Peter Tragos, the lawyer you know.